Greetings, Greenhouse people, and welcome to another installment of Tech on Demand, where our goal is always to bring you tips and tricks and information to produce your best crops ever. I'm your host, Bill Calkins, and I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Todd Cavins, a technical manager for Ball Horticultural Company and part of the Ball Tech on Demand team. Todd, thanks for joining me today. You bet, Bill. It's great to be with you. So we're back to talk about at-risk crops and the inherent challenges with specific crops grown across North America. At-risk crops are the ones that you probably know well, plants that often come under pressure from specific pests and diseases. Todd's going to join us this time to focus on two of my favorite fall crops, cabbage and kale, in anticipation of you growing and shipping high-quality finished plants using proven preventative strategies and protocols developed to minimize risk. So Todd, why don't you share your screen and kick us off with a quick overview to help the listeners and viewers avoid potential challenges with at-risk crops. And as a reminder, these are just the highlights. You can find a full overview presentation by Dr. Will Healy linked in the show notes. All right, well, thanks, Bill. Well, speaking of Dr. Healy's presentation, um, this slide is actually from his presentation. I did actually modify it just a little bit, but uh, definitely go back and watch some of his presentations. Bill, you and I have had other conversations about high risk or at risk crops as well. So uh, we just uh, had a discussion not too long ago about peppers. So a lot of the things we're gonna discuss today are actually very similar to the pepper discussion. And those things that Will talked about in his uh, conversation with you are highly critical. Things like using the correct inputs, making sure it's tested seed, or that your URCs or liners come from a reliable source that has a great sanitation program. Talk about you and your facility, you know, make sure you have a great sanitation program. Is your facility clean, free of weeds and debris? And have you used a really good disinfectant and sanitizing uh, program to make sure that you're giving yourself the best option? Also, one of the things I added here that's a little different that Will maybe didn't have on the slide, but I'm sure he discussed was clean hands. As we talk about cabbage and kale today, the reason I put this in here is because I worked with a grower a few years ago and we were pretty much able to determine that the disease, the black rot or bacterial leaf spot we're gonna discuss, discuss today came in on a worker's hands, okay? Then, hey, optimum cultural protocols. Give the plants the best fighting chance. Treat them right, know what they need, provide them the correct light intensity, temperatures and fertilizers and things like that. When you do apply pesticides, right chemical at the right time, you know, make sure that the one you're applying is actually going to target the pest or disease that you're trying to battle at the time, or more importantly, prevent. Uh, I want to encourage you to think about all of your pesticide applications, be it insecticides or, or fungicides or what have you, that they are preventative in nature, okay? And then the other thing, hey, monitor, monitor, monitor. Really think about your pest and disease program as one of the integrated pest management let's think about preventing before the problem occurs. Awesome, I think that gives the listeners and viewers the basics. So let's turn our attention to cabbage and kale, which are on the menu for today, no pun intended. Can you start by sharing some of the risk factors specific to these crops? I think you're gonna talk a lot about bacterial leaf spot, like you said, or black rot, and that sounds pretty scary. It does sound scary and it can be pretty ominous to deal with, um, but that's what we'll talk about primarily today. Um, you know, 
brassica, um, so um, we're talking about cabbage and kale, and a lot of these crops we think as different crops. They're really the same uh, species, uh, genera and species. They're actually just different varieties. So cabbage and kale actually have a very, the similar uh, or the same scientific name. They have just a variety difference after, after them. So what does that mean? They look alike, they act alike, they get the same pest and disease problems, okay? So we're gonna talk about bacterial leaf spot or what in the vegetable industry they call black rot. And yeah, it's kind of nasty. It's, it's tough to deal with. It's tough to eradicate. Um, so kind of along the same lines, when we had a discussion about peppers, it also gets xanthomonas leaf spot, but it gets a different pathovar or variety of that bacterial leaf inspect infection. So a lot of the same things that are in fact the same things you would do to prevent an, uh, bacterial leaf spot on peppers and most other crops applies to your cabbage and kale as well. So Let's talk about what that looks like. We're usually dealing with kind of erratic or irregular brown to black spots. And if the foliage has been wet or wet recently, they'll look like a very much a greasy appearance, okay, or water soaked appearance. That's kind of one of the things that, although we can't always make a good uh, diagnosis with our eyes, it's kind of one of the clues that leads us into this is bacterial, that greasy look, okay. Now, Sometimes your variety, plant varieties you're growing may be a darker leaf and those symptoms can be pretty hard to detect until we get a little bit more advanced where we might be getting some of the chlorosis or some of the dr spots drying out over time. One of the things that's also kind of a clue on cabbage and kale on bacterial leaf spot is that bacteria, while it splashes on the surface or maybe it's possibly came through the seed or it gets on the plants from blowing debris in the greenhouse, It'll set on the leaf surface, but it doesn't generally enter the leaf until we get a wound, like from an insect or mechanical damage, but oftentimes it enters on the edge of the leaves. The leaves have these little structures called hydrothodes, okay, and those are what help the plant regulate water and osmotic pressure. Those are open tubes to the inside of the plant, and that's where the bacteria go in. So these bacterial leaf spots, while you may not even notice some of the initial spotting, you may notice the the, the chlorosis and the necrosis kind of forming in a wedge shape from the edge of the leaf down towards the petiole. So those are some of the symptoms. Let's talk about the source. I mentioned seed source. Okay, it can be a seed-borne disease. What I would encourage you to do, and that's what we do at Ball Seed, is we test our seed. We want to make sure we give you the best chance possible. So we test our seed, and we know that those, those tests come back negative for this disease. So is it a 100% fail-proof? No, nothing is in the plant world, but it's a great, great insurance policy. So make sure you have tested seed, okay? Debris in the greenhouse, I mentioned. Clean, clean, clean. Sanitation is not just spraying a chemical, it's a removal of debris. Splashing water, this is a big thing, especially for cabbage and kale. In a lot of parts of North America where this is popular, it's grown outside because of the favorable weather conditions and low cost, but grow this with drip tape or drip tubes versus overhead irrigation. There's some great research by Cornell University and they showed, you know, even when there's just a tiny, even no matter where the infection comes from, it's splashing water that makes it bad, okay? So avoid the splashing water. Again, wash your hands like we mentioned just a second ago 
and just good pest management as well. While we don't think of insects as a primary vector or of spreading this disease, in theory they could. So, you know, good pest management, keeping them nice and clean is a, is a, a great strategy. And most of the time, if you're a grower that keeps your plants nice and clean from bugs, they're also nice and clean from diseases as well. Well, I think now that the faithful listeners know what to keep an eye out for, primarily bacterial leaf spot, and it's fantastic that you went through all of those sources, because I think that that's one that you may want to rewind and listen or watch this again and remember those sources, because that's going to be uh, uh really key to preventing this problem. So now that we know all that, what are some strategies and controls to minimize and manage this risk? We want the best possible plants going out the door to retail customers who are definitely excited to decorate for the season. Okay, well, let's just go kind of down the list and recap. So starting with tested or treated seed, okay? Um, that's the way you can do it. There are some resources to treat your own. Most growers find it cumbersome and they kind of compromise germination. So just testing it and know that it's not in there in the first place is a great thing to do, okay, or a great resource, a great starting point. Then let's talk about the spray programs. There are a handful of things we can use to help prevent or uh, bacteria leaf spot, okay. We can't cure it once it gets there, but we can prevent it. But a key of this is your timing of those spray applications, okay. Um, you want to begin a spray as soon as the cotyledons unfold, okay, because there is a possibility that seed contamination from a seed coat, from the soil, from debris or splashing water, it happens. The plant foliage needs to be protected, so that means you need to apply it as soon as there is this young foliage growing out. So we use the hypocotyls or the cotyledons, excuse me, as a good marker. As soon as they unfold, we need to be getting a spray program started. Another thing that I alluded to for outdoor growing is avoid that overhead irrigation. And really what we're trying to do is avoid wet foliage, okay? It needs the water to help it live, help it thrive, help it survive. So, um, you know, wet foliage is never a good thing for numerous diseases, including bacterial leaf spot. A little caveat to that, sometimes we just can't avoid it. And like in young plant situations, I mean, we just can't use drip tubes or and very rarely you see that sub-irrigation for those. But a question to ask yourself is how clean is your irrigation water? I've had a lot of growers that have dealt with xanthomonas over the years and they've reverted to injecting a disinfestant, something like a peroxide type or quaternary ammonium type chemical into their irrigation water just to make sure it's nice and clean and that the pipes aren't, and the biofilm that's in the pipes aren't contributing to this. Another thing from uh, kind of a plant culture perspective, let's toughen those plants up, grow nice toned plants. So we wanna think about our feed program when we're growing these plants. We don't wanna give them excessive ammonium fertilizer. That's the, that's the, ammon that's the nitrogen source that gives, makes them soft and lush. It helps the plants get big and if we need to size them up quickly, but it also makes them a little soft when they have a soft surface, um, you know, the diseases can penetrate easier. Let's talk about irrigation. Okay, uh, irrigation, we can use that to help control growth, but we don't want it to be excessively dry where we drought stress the plant because anytime a plant gets stressed, it's gonna be more susceptible to diseases and pests, okay? Irrigation is also important because if we water the plants too much, too late in the afternoon, that contributes to a lot of excessive growth and that lush growth. So do your irrigation early, 
get the foliage dry. That's what we want to go to. And then, of course, with cabbage and kale, I'm talking about ornamental cabbage and kale here for this discussion, but, you know, we do have plant growth regulators that are out there and available to us that helps us give, a, helps give us a tone type plant that's a little bit more um, resilient out there, so to speak. So, okay, so those are some cultural things we can do. What about that spray program I talked about getting started early? Everything for bacteria's leaf spot that we're discussing is is a preventative or a protectant, okay? We've got to stop it before it ever gets started. So think about that. It's early and it's preventative. It, once we see it, it's too late. We're going to discuss a couple of different options that we have, but by far the number one uh, product out there that is, is, is in our toolbox is going to work most effectively are the copper sprays, okay? So we'll get back to those to just a second. So let me talk about a couple of other options. There are a lot of good biological-based fungicides, bactericides out there that have proven effective to help suppress bacterial leaf spot, okay? Um, you know, some of them are bacillus, some of them are various other things, but they're uh, these different extracts that can be applied preventatively. When you look at the literature, and some people have said, boy, I just, I didn't have good luck with that. You know, sometimes they're not always they're not always effective as a traditional fungicide or bactericide we might apply, but they're a good preventative. So be sure and read the label on those, get to know them, understand them, reach out to the representatives from those companies, make sure that you're storing them correctly, applying them correctly, so you give yourself the best opportunity. But things like Cease, which is very popular out there, EcoSwing is gain, gaining a lot of popularity as well as Triathlon. Uh, and a host of numerous others, there are good resources out there. So uh, biological fungicides are a great, or bactericides are a great part of our chemical rotation program. Another thing that you can use is not a, it's not a bactericide, but there's a couple of fungicides that actually help suppress bacteria a little bit. One of those would be mancozeb, another one would be dacanil. And again, if you read the labels, they aren't necessarily labeled as bactericides, but there's good evidence that they work. And that should be part of a good solid disease prevention rotation program. Some other things, I mentioned people are sometimes injecting things like Xerotol or CleanGrow in their irrigation water. There are, are also some folks who like to apply that as a preventative uh, on the foliage, and there are labeled rates for that. Um, so those, that's definitely one you need to trial. You need to make sure you're comfortable with your water chemistry, the volume of application, the conditions at the time you apply, so you don't create any phytotoxicity. Okay, now, so those are a couple of other areas that we can use to help prevent this. But let's talk about the workhorse force, and those are the copper fungicides or bactericide sprays. There's, you know, there's dozens out there on the market. Some of them are definitely labeled for our greenhouse side of the industry, some for the vegetable side of the industry. There's different kinds. There's copper sulfates, there's copper hydroxides, there's copper salts of fatty acids and octone, octonates and several others out there. I don't want to get too bogged down to all those different chemistries today, but just be sure you're using a good reputable product that has the appropriate label on it because not all things are labeled uh, the same. Just because it's a copper hydroxide, uh, you know, made for field crops that may not be labeled appropriately for greenhouse crops. So definitely read and follow all your label information. A couple of extra things on the copper. Okay, much like I discussed earlier with the cotyledons unfolding, that's when we need to get the first application on there. 
copper works as a surface barrier, okay, against bacteria. When this, you apply a copper spray, the copper, with the exception of phyton, most of the coppers just remain on the leaf surface, okay? They're kind of a, they're in liquid, but they're not really soluble. So you've got this kind of solid copper laying there on the leaf surface, and that solid barrier is your protectant. So you can imagine if you spray this week and next week two more leaves unfold, okay? Those new leaves are not protected. So that's why I wanna encourage you to do a regular spray program where the new foliage is constantly being protected. And that's where you might wanna go through a series of two or three, three or four of these um, possible, you know, uh, bacteria prevention pro uh, products out there to get a good rotation so you can apply them regularly. We can prevent any resistant problems and we can reduce our possibility of phytotoxicity. Another thing, speaking of phytotoxicity, that's on um, coppers that I've heard from growers from time to time that they just didn't like them. They felt like they've got a lot of phytotoxicity from them and that is possible. So again, read and follow those labels. But one of the things you may not be aware of is copper, most of those coppers are insoluble coppers and they're not made to be soluble. Um, so um, they're made to just sit on the surface and not penetrate. But some water qualities, if your water is slightly acidic, it could solubilize the coppers and that could be causing the phytotoxicity. So be sure and understand your water chemistry, your water quality. Usually we want a little bit of acidified water for most of our pesticides and plant growth regulators. For coppers, that may not be the best choice. Also drying time is critical. Coppers so that they, if they set on a leaf wet, a, a, a wet leaf for a long time, that can cause phytotoxicity. So spraying them early, early in the morning, um, you know, where they might set wet for several hours, depending on your environment, or late at night, where they go wet into the night, are generally not good practices. So maybe a, a, a mid to late morning application may be the best for your scenario. But think about those things as well, and how and how you apply it, the volumes, the drying times, and your water quality. Well, I think that that's a lot of good information. The, the word of the day seems to be a rotation and staying on top of this. Um, this isn't just a spray once and you're done. And uh, certainly a lot of environmental factors to consider. So uh, be sure to, to make sure that you have good protocols in place at your greenhouse uh, for managing the risk on your cabbage and kale. So Finally, before we wrap up this discussion of cabbage and kale as at-risk crops, I want to call out some additional resources for you to check out. First is a set of at-risk crop guides or white papers that are available at ballseed.com slash quickculture slash production guides. You can find the link in the show notes for this presentation. We'll also make the slideshow available uh, in a link in the show notes if you want to view some of the images that, that Todd shared if you're just listening to this as a podcast. And also is the Tech On Demand podcast brought to you by Grower Talks. And so in addition to episodes like this one and the one that Todd mentioned on peppers, we've done garden mums, we've done zinnias with a lot more to come. This is a podcast brought to you by Grower Talks and you're going to find many more uh, covering a range of greenhouse-specific topics with more being added all the time. So you can subscribe to Tech On Demand as a podcast on your favorite apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and plenty more, or visit growertalks.com slash techondemand. So Todd, thank you so much for this deep dive into cabbage and kale. 
And as always, for all that you and the technical services team do to help growers avoid pitfalls and ship optimum quality plants to market. I'm Bill Calkins with Ball Tech On Demand, wishing you a fantastic season. Take care out there, everybody. Thank you.